You know, yesterday was a pretty good day for OU football recruiting. No, I'm not talking about a certain commit that you missed or a certain crystal ball that dropped. But P.J. Atabare, who I think already is one of the more likable guys in this 2023 class, got his five-star, and that was a feel-good movement. A lot of you were uh, talking about that on social media. A lot of OU fans are happy about that. It gave OU its second five-star in this 2023 class and vaulted OU up to the number six overall ranking in the 2023 class. Now my question is this, Parker Thune. Now that we haven't even started the season yet and OU's had a four-star being bumped up to a five-star, is another one coming from an already committed player? Is there anybody right now, because I see... A few other top 100 guys that are committed, Jaquase Petaway, I see Caden Green, I see Jacoby Johnson. Is there a chance for any other currently committed player to eventually get that five-star before December? I mean, if you're talking about a player currently committed to Notre Dame. Well, yeah, yes. And you know what? I was not, let it be known. I was not the first one to mention Peyton Bowen's name today. Well, the yes, one you name were. that gives uh Parker the most headache right now. Uh, well, hold up. Well, I guess Caden McFarland mentioned it. So, yes, you're off the hook. Um, but, yeah, Peyton Mullen picked up his fifth star, too, in addition to P.J. Adabari yesterday. So, I, look, outside of that, I I struggle to believe, looking at Oklahoma's class right now, that there is another guy committed to OU at this time that's going to end up being a five-star. I just don't think anybody else has that much upward mobility. If we're talking about guys that they are actively recruiting right now that could end up being five stars at the end of the cycle, I guess you can't really say Peyton Bowen at this point. If I had to put money on one guy, I'd probably say Malachi Coleman just because he does not have a whole lot of tape at this point, but what he does have is some freakish physical tools. And so if he can make that translate this year into some elite tape, and the film he puts up, especially over the first half of his senior season, is next level, then that's a guy that can contend for five-star status down the stretch. But as of right now, I think the Sooners conclude this class with at least three five-stars. Oh, yeah, I was about to say, the over-under for five-stars in this class is two and a half. And uh, me likes the over on that one, please. Um, I'm pretty tempted to say it's going to be a slam dunk that the over is going to hit on uh, two and a half stars. Now, somebody said, I see Colton Vossett getting a fifth star. Uh, I I do not. I'll just say that He's much. He's the uh, number 153 overall player in the nation right now, according to 24-7. I will add this. We had a discussion yesterday on the VIP board over at OUinsider.com. If you're not a VIP over there and you want all of the recruiting scoop, go grab a month's subscription for just a dollar. I have a feeling you'll be sticking around after the first month, but that's at your discretion. That said, we were having a conversation on the OU Insider VIP board about how many top 100 players Oklahoma could sign in this cycle. Right now, they have six. And off the top of my head here, I'm going to try to... Oh, okay, okay, come on, come on, let's see it. I'm ready. Jackson Arnold, PJ Adebarra, Jaquais Petaway, Caden Green. Yep. Uh, You have Derek LeBlanc. Yeah, okay, last one. Don't get nervous. Don't mess this one up. You've come this far, Parker. Do not forget the last one. And I'm, I'm just telling you, and let this be a hint, if you miss this one, you're going to be really upset. You're, Jacoby Johnson. Okay, all there right. There you go. The, the dramatic pause Six there. for six. Now, um, you look at the six that they have. That number could double, Tyler. That number could double. 
Because right now, I think the Sooners are getting Macari Vickers. Yeah. So I does think, everyone else. So so does uh, Wilt Fong right now. I think the Sooners are getting Jordan Renaud. Yep. I think the Sooners are getting DJ Hicks. And I think the Sooners are getting Tessilia Kana. There's 10. That brings you to 10. Now, you have Peyton Bowen and Malachi Coleman as the big wild cards. But also, I think there is a very good chance that Colton Vosick and potentially Sammy Omasigo as well break the top 100 by the end of the cycle, too. Sure. So, yeah. because a- Samuel Omasigo, all he's done is rise up, up, up the charts. I, I definitely like- think Colton Vosick playing at Westlake, a competition he's going to play against, whether that's fair or not. We talk about that all the time. But yeah, there's a real chance there. Yeah, no, Colton Vosick is going to continue to shoot up the rankings. He will. And Samuel Masigo, man, he doesn't get talked about a whole lot. But, man, does that dude just continue to climb and climb and climb and climb. And he hasn't really had a quantum leap like P.J. Adabare did. But he just continues to inch closer and closer to top 100 status. I mean, that's one of the founding members of Three Star U right there, oh, Tyler. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Samuel Masigo. Yeah, yeah, he was one of the guys where people like, God, all we're going to get is three stars? Well, how's that one looking right now? Looking pretty good with Samuel Masigo, right? 12 top 100 players. I don't have to tell anybody this, but I will anyway. That's a top five class, guys. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, a top that's probably class. a top three class. Yeah. So, And again, in a perfect world, in an absolutely perfect utopian world, for the University of Oklahoma, they get 14 of them. I don't think they get 14 of them in the end. Like I, I don't think Brent Venables and his staff are going to end up batting 1,000 at the end of the year. But they could very realistically get 11 or 12. Yeah. Well, I, and we say this all the time, too, is well, what happens if we get into the season and this team looks really good? Uh, offensively, they're playing really well. Defensively, they look more sound than they have since, like, 2015. What happens then? Because they've already been selling a program already just outside the top five without even coaching a game yet. What if the product looks a lot better than it did last year? Then what? Of course that's going to have somewhat of an impact on a lot of these guys. So, yeah, I I just – they may not get all of them, Parker, but do I think that they'll get a a majority of them? Sure, absolutely I do. Double digits is – looks like right now the worst-case scenario. Uh, let's get to the text line. First, is Jaden Rowe a corner or safety? That is a phenomenal question. Hell, by the end of it, Jaden Rowe might be an edge rusher. <laughs> like Jaden Rowe is one of the guy on the team. He's one of the freakiest and most versatile athletes in that entire class. And I'm not just talking about Oklahoma's class. I'm talking about the entire freshman class across the nation. So right now, Jaden Rowe projects most reliably as a cheetah in Oklahoma's defense. But I will tell you this much. Long term, I don't know what that kid becomes. I just know he's going to be really, really good. They'll find – I mean, he'll he'll make a spot for him himself on the team this year. Yes. You're six foot three. you're that rangy, you're that fast – I, I, I don't care where he ends up playing, but he will he will play somewhere, and it's not going to take him very long. Someone asking us who we think the uh, team captains are going to be. That's an interesting question. Um, Dylan Gabriel, I would be shocked if he's not one of your team captains this year. <sighs> Eric Gray got a chance to be one of your team captains Braden this Willis. year. Braden Willis. Yeah, Braden yeah, Braden Willis. Willis. There, there's... Yeah, yeah. Gabriel, Braden, Willis are one and two. I would count on Justin Royals being one of them as well. 
And after that, man. Don't say a kicker or a punter. We've had that happen before, and it was almost a riot. Really? Oh, yeah. Did somebody say Michael Turk? No. I Well, <laughs> I think it was Cybert that was the captain okay, one okay, year. Okay. And then, yeah, everyone was freaking out. Yeah, I mean, the other two guys that uh, would come to mind for me are Marvin Mims, just because of how respected he is in that locker room. And uh, is it too early to throw Ethan Downs into the mix? I uh, I mean, I don't think it's too early in terms of what he brings to the table in that regard. I don't think that they're going to go with the true sophomore there. I, I tend to think that they're going to go two offense, two defense, but that's purely a guess on my part. Yeah, and I mean, money on the table at that point, I would say Dylan Gabriel, Braden Willis, Justin Broyles, and... Woody Washington. Yeah. Those would be my four. Uh, from the 918, Tyler, make Ref Army shirts. They will do better than that other guy who couldn't cut it in the big leagues. What if I were to tell you that the mock-up for the Ref Army t-shirt <laughs> has already been made? What if I were to tell you that no more than 30 minutes ago, Parker and I were looking at the exact same t-shirt design of the Ref Army? I mean, you ask, it will be delivered. The Ref Army shirts will soon be in the ref store, which, by the way, KREF.com. We've got a whole new line of game day T-shirts. Um, I made one that says 11 a.m. kickoff sucks, so uh, I will be wearing that T-shirt to all 11 a.m. home football games this year. I love that. I love that. Tyler, the merch guy, man. Somebody on the text line said, and this answered my question earlier because I hadn't looked over the roster and paid real close attention to wait listings. But somebody said Kelvin Gilliam is listed at 293 pounds, and that is astonishing, Tyler, because I'm pretty sure his listed weight last year, if my memory serves me correctly, was 264. Mm -hmm. That is a large individual. There's been some bodies change over this offseason, man, more than what we've seen in a long, long time. Uh, do you think Dylan Gabriel will be in the running for the Heisman? I mean, if they roll off an 11-1, 12-1 season like I think that they're going to, and with as fast as they're going to go at times offensively, I'm not picking him to win it. I'm going with the chalk answer here and going C.J. Stroud. But, yeah, yeah no. I think Dylan – absolutely Dylan Gabriel can be. And please do not put Heisman expectations on Dylan Gabriel's shoulder because is that a realistic ceiling? Well, if Oklahoma performs as well offensively as Jeff Lebby's offense has in years past, yeah – but we're still talking about a world, and a college football world more specifically, that includes Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud and Caleb Williams and even Spencer Rattler, man. So there are a lot. This is a very, very deep quarterback class that will be eligible for the 2023 NFL draft. And so I'm not necessarily saying tap the brakes with Dylan Gabriel. I'm just saying temper the expectations when it comes to the hardware because there's a difference between the expectations when it comes to the production and expectations when it comes to hardware. Where's the broadcast taking place Friday in Omaha? Um, I don't think we're ready to officially release that location yet. I would just tell you, like, the area that's around TD Ameritrade, it's probably a pretty good bet that that's where we're going to be Friday for the, yeah. for the shows, Friday before the Nebraska game. Um, I would guess that Saturday in Lincoln, if you're not going to Omaha, if you're just going straight to Lincoln, Saturday there's a pretty good chance that we're out in the parking lot somewhere with a really 
cool road trip feature that we are starting this year. Saturday somewhere in the parking lot, and I'll let you know where we're at for a post game in Lincoln. But we're going to be Friday in Omaha, Saturday in Lincoln. We're going to be we're going to be places where all of you and we invite you. We want you to. We want. When you go on an OU road game, we want everyone to think, well, <laughs> yeah, you go hang out with the ref. That's what you do. Dang we want right. you to do that for home games, too. But we definitely want you to do it for road games as well. So we, the more the merrier. We want everyone to show up and come hang out with us Friday before the game and then Saturday before and after as well. Let's hit a couple questions before we hit our first break here on Locked In. In a year or two from now, who from this recruiting class do you think we look back on and are surprised that he was not higher ranked or more talked about? Well, I'll... <laughs> I mean, I feel like I've been saying it for months and months and months, and we're finally starting to hear some of the buzz out of camp that's backing it up. Give me R. Mason Thomas for oh 2000. Oh, my gosh, man. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll go with the guy from this current 2023 class since you went 22, and maybe I just got suckered in by the Tulsa World article yesterday, but I already liked um, Eric McCarty. I just think that he's just a dude. He's just a flat football player um I think that he is better than what he's giving credit for coming out of McAllister High six foot two 180 I, I I don't think that he's necessarily a guy that you'll be counting on as a true freshman but he's one of your lower rated players in this class I think he'll end up being a dude yeah, when he gets to you if I had to pick a 2023 guy Phil Pachotti all yeah. the way yeah and, and I asked you you know having the discussion who has the best chance if anyone to kind of rise from a four-star to a five-star. Well, if we're talking about guys who have the best chance to go from a three-star to a four-star, I mean, Phil Pachotti definitely got to be in that conversation, if not at the very top. I will be shocked if that doesn't happen. Now, uh, last question here before we hit a break. Uh, One listener would like us to settle a debate for him. Okay. He says, a buddy and I are arguing about Jackson Arnold's style of play. He says he's a dual threat. I say he's a pro. He did find one recruiting profile that calls him a dual threat, but in my opinion, his high school stats don't reflect that. Only 55 rushes his entire career. I, I, here's the best way I he can had answer 659 that rushing yards last year, according to 24-7. Yeah, he can good. move. He can and move. And 12 rushing touchdowns? There's your answer. How do you categorize Matt Corral? That is my question because that that is your that is your answer for Jackson Arnold because trust me the reason Jeff Lebby picked Jackson Arnold the reason why that's his guy in the 2023 class is because he wants Jackson Arnold to be Matt Corral at Oklahoma. Now, Matt Corral did a lot of dirty work on the ground last year for Ole Miss and it doesn't get talked about a whole lot. Didn't he run it like 30 times against Tennessee last year? Yeah, he had a couple crazy. games where he cracked 200 rushing mm-hmm. yards, I'm pretty sure. So, if you would regard Matt Corral as a dual-threat quarterback, then you should also regard Jackson Arnold as a dual-threat quarterback. But if you think of Matt Corral as a pro-style passer, well, then consider Jackson Arnold a pro-style passer, too. He's somewhere in between where he's not, like... Here's the thing. People think dual-threat these days, and they think Kyler Murray or Lamar Jackson. Yeah, right? yeah that's not how it always that, works you know, out. No, he's not that. But that's the case. There'd be like two dual threat quarterbacks. Yeah, exactly. But is he a guy that's just gonna stand in the pocket with cinder block feet, a la Shane Illingworth, and be completely immobile between the tackles? Absolutely not. And there will be designed run plays for Jackson Arnold when he gets to Norman. Jeff Lebby will get him the ball in space. Matt Carell had thirty rushes for one hundred ninety-five yards. 
Matt Corral, if he is asked to run the ball 30 times a game, he is a dual-threat quarterback. If you were a quarterback in 2021 and you run it 30 times, yes, you are dual-threat, especially when you have 195 yards that game as well. All right, uh, you guys are lighting it up on the Air Coverage Solutions text line. Love it. Keep it coming. We'll get to more next. 405-651-3439. It is locked in right here on The Ref. Locked in with McComas and Thune, live on The Ref for the Homeless Sooner fans. Air Coverage Solutions text line. The number is 405 405- 651-3439. Normally on Wednesdays at 235, our buddy Travis Davidson joins us. He will not today because he is joining me from 3 to 6 this afternoon. Teddy is off, so it'll be uh, Travis Davidson and myself from 3 to 6 today. Oh, now Teddy's on vacation, that. huh? Uh, Kind of. Oh, kind of, okay. Yeah, he's just off today. So he'll be back on Thursday and Friday, I uh, I presume. Um, By the way, I... OU fans, I wouldn't get caught up in this too much, but Edric Hill, four-star defensive lineman, did announce that he's moving up his commitment date to August 22nd. There's crystal balls everywhere for Edric Hill in Alabama. Uh, We were hopeful that OU could get in on that one late, but it looks like Bama's going to win out. OU did make the cut for the final six, Parker, but... All crystal ball, all signs towards Edric Hill signing with Bama. What I guess that'd be, guess that'd be next week. Yeah, this one looks like Alabama to me, and that was kind of expected. We said we 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 mentioned it as early as May or June, honestly, when OU's interest in Edric Hill started to ramp up. Alabama was always going to be the school that they had to overcome, and once Edric Hill didn't get down to campus for the party in the Palace at the end of July, it kind of became apparent that Bama was going to be the choice. So that is my expectation right now with Edric Hill, uh, is that he's going to be a, a uh, an elephant, as it were. Yeah. Uh, uh, wow. Jackson Arnold is a mini Josh Allen. Uh, no, no, let's not say that. <laughs> Josh Allen let's is not a say that. freak of nature, man. Uh, because, again, Josh Allen's kind of one of a kind. I mean, a cannon for an arm, a huge dude, and can run around as well. Yes. Uh, well, and I, I, I kind of said last segment, look, do you regard Matt Corral as a dual threat? If so, that probably sets the standard for your opinion on Jackson Arnold. But I would say, hey, look at Baker Mayfield, too. Look at what Baker Mayfield did over the course of his three years in Norman, Oklahoma. Would you have considered Baker Mayfield a dual threat? He's one of those guys, and Jackson Arnold is cut from this same cloth, right, where his primary responsibility and his wheel, his wheelhouse, quite honestly, is going to be pushing the ball downfield and hurting you with his arm. But he's plenty athletic enough, especially in the open field, to hurt you with his legs just the way Baker was. Um I'm trying to think of how many quarterbacks, obviously in the wishbone era, all those guys were dual-threat quarterbacks. Um, but I'm talking about in in the Stoops era, since the start of the Stoops era in 99, how many true dual-threat quarterbacks has OU had during that time? Jason White was early in his career. Obviously, he wasn't towards the tail end. Uh, Kyler Murray was – was Paul Thompson even a dual threat? I, I know that I mean, he was thought of that way when he first got here, but he really wasn't in 06 when he started. Yeah, he didn't run the ball a whole heck of yeah. a lot that year, to my recollection. Sam, uh, no. Landry Jones, no. Trevor Knight, I, I, I guess. I mean, you would have to say – I mean, we're only talking about, like, two real legitimate dual threat quarterbacks since 1999. But they've had a lot of guys that can move around and make plays with their feet and – 
you know, you can throw the ball downfield, but you can also mix in some athleticism. I think that's what you ask for. That's what Lebby's wanting. Yeah, and with Jeff Lebby, you're going to get much less of a reliance on the read option. That's what you kind of became accustomed to under the direction of Muleshoe. With Jeff Lebby, the running backs are going to get the ball a lot. And you're going to see the quarterback, whoever he may be, obviously it's Dylan Gabriel this year, put the ball in the air a lot. But there will be an opportunity for Jackson Arnold to make plays with his legs, and there will be some play calls that put the ball in Jackson Arnold's hands in that capacity. Uh, someone said Caleb Spencer will be the best player of this 2023 class. Hey, I love the boldness on that one. He's ranked pretty far down the list. On Hey, but I don't care. I mean, this staff can really evaluate. He's big. He's physical. I wouldn't necessarily bet on Caleb Spencer being the best in the 23 class, especially since this class could include DJ Hicks. That's probably where my money would go, or Jackson Arnold, but I do love the boldness. And he's going to be – got a chance to be one of the more underrated players you end up signing in 23. Somebody on the text line asks, Parker, I may have missed this, but when is Jordan Renaud announcing? September 19th is the date for Jordan Renaud. Who else and is uh, – Macari Vickers is on uh, August 26th. Who else is on August 26th? Anthony thought, Evans. Okay. All right. Anthony Evans. So there you go. You got, got a few decision dates to look ahead to. Uh, another listener asks, what's the deal – with Marcus. Now, Marcus Steele, uh, four-star, two-way lineman, one of the very few players in this class that has a Power 5 future on either side of the ball. Uh, and it's not as common anymore that you see that with linemen, really. You don't see a whole lot of linemen who have the capacity to play offensive line and defensive line at the Power 5 level. Marcus Steele is one of those guys. Look, the short answer is, I don't know, man. I don't know which way that recruitment's going to swing. I don't get the sense that we are anywhere close to a decision from Marcus Deal. I expect that one, barring some drastic unforeseen change in the dynamic, to drag on well into the football season. Oklahoma is currently vying for Marcus Deal's last official visit. I believe he has one set to Georgia, and I believe he has already taken three officials to Arkansas, TCU, and USC, respectively. So Oklahoma and Texas are the two schools that are primarily vying to be Marcus Steele's last official visit destination. The way I look at this, if you end up with Marcus Steele, great. If not, and it's crazy that we're saying this about a top 150 player nationally, he's kind of gravy, Tyler. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, you're, you're, you're good at that position for sure. Uh, Chase in Orange County, coming to the town for the Baylor game. Where would you have the KREF location set up so I could stop by and say hi? We'll be finalizing that soon as well. Uh, campus Corner, though, Chase. Just head on to Campus Corner, and I promise that you'll see us. Uh, before we get to a couple more texts here, by the way, Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. I bet this will make you happy. But Hog fans are getting very annoyed with the consistent drop of Luke Haas um, from the northeast portion of the state. There was a particular tweet out there that saying, you know, he was number two four, or number forty two overall player and the number one tight end on rivals when he committed to OU last summer. When he committed to Arkansas in January, he dropped to number seventy overall and the number three tight end. And then after their latest release. He dropped to the number 206 overall player and the number 10 tied in. 
and Arkansas fans contend, well, this always happens with our commitments. Oh Once they commit to Arkansas, they automatically just drop off. It's just what happens. If he commits to Oklahoma, he all, all automatically rises up 50 spots. Oh, my gosh. And every fan base feels this way, literally without exception. Every fan base across the entire country believes that the entire recruiting industry is a part of some massive conspiracy to tank their commits rankings. Look, I can tell you why Luke has continues to slip in the recruiting rankings, and it's no knock on the kid. It's just that he maxed out pretty early. And his production as a junior was not where a lot of people figured it would be, but more specifically, he just maxed out from a physical standpoint very early on in the process. So it's understandable that a kid like that would slowly regress in the recruiting rankings because as, as a sophomore, he was way ahead of where most of his peers were from a physical standpoint. But as those guys start to catch up and as they start to produce as juniors and seniors, things are going to kind of regress to the mean. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm happy to see it, but I am happy to see Arkansas fans get bent out of shape like this. That that much I do enjoy. Uh, from the 918, did you see Florida's new $90 million building? It's plush. I did not, but I heard Josh Pate talk about how, I guess Billy Napier didn't think that he was getting the things that he needed to get. And Florida quickly uh, remedied that situation. Believe me, like (laughs) the state of the Florida Gators football program at this time two months ago, I mean, there was, uh, how can I put this lightly? There was a lot of dissatisfaction in those offices. No doubt, man. That has been very quickly remedied. Now they're all the way up to a top 10 class, man. I mean, they were, they were, I think they were outside the top 25 when we had oh, that conversation oh, they a couple were of months way ago. way outside the top 25. And now, bam, they're in the top 20 and on the heels of Miami at uh, number nine. So, yeah, interesting <laughs> happenings here. Somebody on the text line said, Arkansas fans are too busy tuning their banjos and running from the state police to know that Oklahoma is better. I love that. Man, Arkansas fan. You, know, you remember there was that week like a month ago where I had like four different fan bases pissed at me? Arkansas was one of those fan bases, and it was because I had the nerve to crystal ball Michael Hawkins to Oklahoma. Mm. Yeah, I'm just – I've I've made this prediction before, but the Arkansas fans – I know OU already hates LSU fans. That is never going to change. We are all annoyed at Texas A&M fans. I think Arkansas fan, though, is the one that is really going to annoy everyone around here the most. It's going to be like this – what are these people being obnoxious for? Like, wh- what do they have to celebrate? Wh- what do they have to, to brag about? Are you kidding me? What have you ever done before? Your last national championship was 1964, Arkansas fan. Shut up. But I do think that they're going to be the most annoying ones we encounter in the SEC. Just a guess. Air Coverage Solutions text line. We'll get to those and more coming up next. Keep it locked on the ref. We're the homeless Sooner fans. Locked in with McComas and Thune, live on the ref. We're the Homeless Sooner fans. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune, inside the Brown O'Haver Studios. Let's go down the rabbit hole here, at least for a few minutes. I uh, pulled you into the prediction yesterday that Malachi Nelson is going to decommit from USC. You and I are both on the record that we think at some point Malachi Nelson will decommit from USC, which is fascinating uh, by itself, but what happens? What happens to the rest 
of USC's recruiting class if indeed Malachi Nelson decommits at some point in the future? I mean, we are talking complete implosion. Because if Malachi Nelson is gone, then I can promise you uh, Zach Branch is gone, Makai Lemon is gone. Is did Braxton Myers already decommit, or is he still technically? He's list, yeah, he's still listed as a commit, four-star okay. safety out of Capel. Braxton Myers is gone too. And then what does that leave USC with? At that that point, leaves they, that takes away your top three ranked players, and that takes away Braxton Myers, who's number six. That would take away four of your top uh, six committed players. Yeah, I mean, look, that is. You're pulling the pin to a grenade if Malachi Nelson's an Aggie because the second he's no longer a part of USC's class, I mean, the avalanche comes. And I'm not talking about a good avalanche like the avalanche that Oklahoma experienced on the recruiting trail in July. I'm talking an avalanche that is going to bury Muleshoe and his recruiting class. And those are just the ones that look like certainties, right? But if Malachi Nelson and Zach Branch and Makai Lemon all decommit – then I think that there's a chance that there could be more than just those guys and maybe some other players that we're not thinking of. I'll tell you this, if it does happen and those three guys are gone, a five-star quarterback, a five-star receiver, and a four-star athlete, that might mean that Muleshoe's highest-ranked player in this class is a linebacker. What a nice change that would be for the old guy out west. Hey, hey, props to him, though, if that happens. Shifting the narrative. There is not, if this happens, there there is no plan. To like, there's no Brock Vandegrift, Caleb Williams situation here. There's no legitimate backup plan that you can go to and say, oh, wow, that's a setback, but we can go here and we can help rescue this class. Well, here's the thing they'd be in trouble. If something like that happens, you have to look at local guys who are committed elsewhere, but would probably stay home if given the opportunity. The issue is. When you're talking about the upper echelon of quarterbacks in this cycle, the two guys that are in Mule Shoe's backyard outside of Malachi Nelson are Nico Yamaleava. Better pay for him. There's not enough money in the world to get him to USC at this point. And Pierce Clarkson, who's committed to Louisville. And again, we've had this conversation. Better with pay for before. him. Papa John's, bourbon and horse racing, man. There's a lot of money at Louisville, and that's why they've got some really good players in this 2023 cycle. So I don't know what Mule Shoe's recourse is if he loses Malachi Nelson. It's definitely not another elite signal caller in this class. No, it's not. Because you can't pay him enough. And that's what it's about with elite quarterbacks these days. And it's hard to get elite skill players in if you don't know who your quarterback's going to be in this class. Because, look, Caleb Williams is playing two more years at USC. I mean, he's playing two more years of college football, whether they're both at USC, and he's off to the NFL. You're going to be hard-pressed to not know who the quarterback of the future is going to be and try to recruit a bunch of guys who are, at best, only going to play one year with Caleb Williams. So, yeah, they're going to be in a world – world of hurt and well outside the top 20 if that's the case oh and i love to see it i would love to see it i don't think i'm the only one and look i think you're able to patch things up if you go and win nine ten games if you fall short of that threshold though your job gets really difficult man really difficult i think it i think it speeds up him just rolling to the nfl 
be it with the Chargers or my Dallas Cowboys, who I will no longer root for if they hire him as head coach. <laughs> I'm saying I'm not I'm not kidding about that. I'm dead serious. No, no, no. I'm, if I, that happens, I you. no, I, I'm, I'm not gonna like burn clothes or anything like that. But am I gonna root for them on Sundays? No, and I stand by that mostly because I, what am I gonna have to root for? I mean this. This that franchise is already known for rolling off eight and eights or eight and nine, I guess, with the extended. That ain't gonna change if he's the head coach. No, listen, I get worse. I, I am with like I'm putting myself in your shoes right now, and it are like it already felt like taking shots of vinegar every Sunday, having to pull for Tom Brady mm. as the quarterback of my team, and like I've I've grown accustomed to it, and it helped that they won a Super Bowl his first year there, so. It became easier to take, but if Mule Shoe were the head coach of my NFL team, yeah, I, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't, no, I couldn't I, do I, it. I won't do it. I won't. Uh, they'll get the Murphy kid from Texas after he transfers. I heard you guys had on uh, Sean Clinch. He's, he's awesome, man. Uh, I love Sean Clinch. And he's saying that, yeah, Malik Murphy, pretty good. But is he ever going to get an opportunity to play at Texas? Honestly, probably not. And that's, that's a mistake on their part. I know they got Arch coming in next year. I know that they're settled to Hudson Card and Quinn Ewers this year, but this kid is a physical specimen. I'd at least give him a chance this year. If I, I, I mean, I'd be giving him a chance right now. I, I'd be putting him in that quarterback race, but it doesn't seem like they're going to. No, it doesn't even seem like they're giving him the time of day or the opportunity to win that quarterback job. It feels like Hudson Card versus Quinn Ewers, and maybe Steve Sarkeesian knows something we don't know. Maybe... Sean Clinch's take on Malik Murphy and Teddy's take on Malik Murphy is diametrically opposite to Steve Sarkeesian's take on Malik Murphy. But it seems as though, with everything we've heard about Card and Ewers, why shouldn't Malik Murphy be given an opportunity to win that job? But no, I, I, I think he's in the transfer portal within six months. Uh, text line, if their class falls apart, he can't produce winning seasons and gets out and after three years, do NFL teams even want him? Yes, and yeah, they, yeah, they and will. Offensive guys, they Cliff get Kingsbury, it, it, and that is the example. But offensive guys get this incredible pass that I don't think defensive coaches get. Man, like if Lincoln Riley fails at USC, he will get another chance, and that chance will be in the NFL. And Cliff Kingsbury is the prime example of that, because Cliff was looked at as, you know, an offensive guru. But Parker, at no point was Cliff Kingsbury in college football ever looked at as highly as what uh, Lincoln Riley is looked at as as now in terms of an offensive genius. He'll get another opportunity if it doesn't work out. You think Muleshoe would ever be a coordinator again, or is that too much of a shot to his ego? Too much of a shot to his ego. Yeah, there's no way. No way. Uh, another listener asks, "Does do Malachi or I'm sorry, do Makai Lemon and Zach Branch take an OV to Norman again, or is that gone forever?" Yeah, that one is uh, Aaron Hernandez. <laughs> Whoa! Well, which one do you mean by that? Could it have multiple meanings? Did Did you never you never watch the Kent Murphy? Videos? I I I did. Aaron Hernandez yeah, gone exactly. forever when yeah, he gets okay. a home run. <laughs> Yes, that's 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 the reference. Okay, all right. Last one. Uh, what's the latest on the 2023 defensive tackle, DJ Hicks? I saw your boy uh, Wilt Fong today put out a video, and he was saying, "Wow, I'm hearing a lot of interesting uh, scuttlebutt on the front of DJ Hicks with OU," and he was going on like. 
I'm trying to keep this on the down low, but yeah, OU is looking really, really good with this. Uh, yeah, into the I, look, and I'm just, I'm going to leave it at this, and people can read between the lines as necessary. I feel like it's pretty evident, crystal ball or no crystal ball, where I stand with DJ Hicks's recruitment, and I'm honestly somewhat surprised Steve's crystal ball hasn't flipped yet. Yeah. Yeah, so that one continues to look good to, to answer your question, text line. All right, we got one final segment left. Get those questions in on the Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. More to come next on The Ref. Elite Roofing Systems, bringing you this hour of Locked In with McComas and Thune. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune, Elite Roofing System. They're servicing all of Oklahoma's roofing needs. Like Craig Cox and the team at Elite Roofing, put over three decades of experience to work for you. Give them a call today, OKC 405-361-3094, Tulsa 918-984-5475, or just check them out, EliteRoofOK.com. Practice yesterday in Norman, there were, uh, I think, four different guys back there working at punt returner. You had Eric Gray, Marvin Mims, uh, you had Freeman and L.V. Bunkley Shelton. Who's the favorite as of right now to be the starting punt returner? Well, I'll say this. I heard y'all's interview with Bob Stoops yesterday on the rush in the 3 o'clock hour, and Bob made a very good point, which is the first thing you need to look for in a punt returner is just somebody who's going to field the ball. Yep. Somebody who's going to catch it, somebody that will not make a mistake and allow the opponent to take over in excellent field position because of a careless maneuver in the punt return game. To me, the guy that's best cut out for that role is Marvin Mims. And we've seen Marvin Mims split punt return duty over the past couple of years with a handful of other guys. It's going to be hard for most folks to dissociate their opinion of Eric Gray as a punt returner with the indelible memory of him muffing the football at the five-yard line last year against Oklahoma State. So, look, Marvin Mims has never made a mistake as a punt returner. And he just has, you know, you look for somebody with that innate feel, not just for the ball and where it is in the air, but for who's bearing down on him and how much room he has to operate. Marvin Mims is probably the most natural punt returner that Oklahoma has on the roster, so I would favor him to handle that duty. By the way, Freeman, Gavin Freeman is who I'm talking about in case you don't know. Uh, true freshman wide receiver, actually a, a walk-on. Oh, you got to steal with uh, that recruitment. Yeah, that is by not, all not your average walk-on. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it, it, he's a true freshman walk-on, and he's in the mix to be one of the punt returners this year. I mean, that alone doesn't tell you what like what they think of him, but it, it, it gives you a good idea of what they think of him. They think there's a lot of trust already if he's even considered to be a punt returner. There's gotta, you gotta, you got to have a lot of trust with the coaching staff <laughs> yeah, to be yeah. a punt returner. And you got to cultivate that trust and also – Preferably, you'd like to have a guy with a type of dynamic athleticism to break one every now and again for a long return or even a touchdown. Marvin Mims is that type of guy. Eric Gray is also that type of guy, but that, how much trust is there? Uh, that's the one thing that Drake Stoops, I mean, for for the football player he is, and he's an excellent football player, he just isn't that guy in the punt return game. He's not somebody that's going to break one for a long gainer or a TD. Gavin Freeman is probably a guy that could sure. do that for you. And you, so, you know, and, and I think that we, when we talk about the best punt returners of all time, 
we immediately say, well, how many touchdowns they have. And clearly, that's important. I, I think a punt return can absolutely, and it feels like more times than not, be the biggest play of the game. But sometimes, Parker, a 10-yard return, that can be the difference in having to punt the ball away and being able to kick a field goal and get three points. So a great punt returner isn't always defined by how many touchdowns he has. Sometimes it's just getting eight additional yards where nobody else would, and that's the difference in getting points in a drive or having to pin someone deep. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a big deal. It's one of the things I respect most about Mims as a punt returner, and he was doing it as a true freshman right off the bat, man. Like, he did not have a whole lot of explosive returns that year. And not shocking when you look at how special teams has been coached or, more accurately, not coached at Oklahoma in recent years. But that was something Mims was so consistently good at. Just getting you 8 to 10 yards. And that matters a lot in terms of field position. Let's see if we can get four texts in before we get out of here. First, how are we feeling about Jordan Renaud? Good. If the Los Alamitos kids go elsewhere, does that eliminate USC for T.A. Cunningham? Doesn't eliminate them altogether, but significantly decreases the likelihood he ends up there. This is Brian. What are y'all most looking forward to this season? Mine is either the defense making leaps forward or just counting how many times Toby yells, oh, mama. Fourth quarter! I think they're going to be better in the second half this year and not squander so many leads. I, I think they will not surrender conversions on third and long, which is exciting. Does Nick ever stick around? Yes. Yeah, why wouldn't he? he, he I mean, to, to next year? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, of course. Too. Yeah. Lincoln was a great OC, bad head coach, maybe King, uh, Kingsbury in the same category, both with similar late-slash-postseason downfalls. The problem with those two guys and a lot of other OCs, those guys don't ever have anyone to check them, Parker. Like when they throw Very it on true. eight consecutive downs, you need someone in your ear saying, hey, run the blank in football, please. And Lincoln never had that when he was at OU. Cliff never had that when he was at Tech. Those guys need something like that. All right, the rush is coming up next. Travis Davidson joins me from 3 to 6. Keep it locked on the ref.